This podcast contains general health information and shouldn't be relied on as medical advice. If you have any health concerns, speak to your doctor. HCF doesn't endorse any statements or opinions made during the podcast. If the podcast makes you feel depressed or anxious and you need to talk to someone straight away, call Lifeline on 13114. My favourite game is Fortnite. I don't have a favourite online game. I do play a little bit of Minecraft. Roblox is really fun. Wildflowers and it has a good story to it. Leaving in the middle of a game can have like penalties, like a day ban from the game. It makes your teammates lose as well because it can make the game a lot less fun for them. Welcome back to Navigating Parenthood, Growing Great Tweens, brought to you by HCF, Australia's largest not-for-profit health fund. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis. Hello. So how much time do your kids spend on their phones or playing games like Minecraft, Fortnite, Roblox or League of Legends? Gaming and ever-changing technologies are our reality. As parents, we hear a lot about the negatives of gaming and kids, but there are positives too, like enabling connection with friends, sparking creative thinking and problem solving, and even spending time together as a family. In this episode, I'll be chatting about gaming and tweens with two parents who spend a lot of time in this world, Executive Director of the Gradient Institute and one of the world's most cited experts on artificial intelligence and bot strategy, Dr. Kat Wallace, who is a mum of five and surrogate to one, all of whom have been tweens, and editorial director of online tech magazine CNET, Mark Serrells, who is the dad of a tween and a nearly tween. Welcome to you both. How's it going? (laughs) I was a tween in the 80s, and I was not allowed to have video games until I could afford them myself. There wasn't really much out there at that stage. I think the first one I got was uh, just a handheld Pac-Man was a gift. And then I just loved it and I wanted more. Loved so until I, until I just I had to get a job and I saved up and then I got a handheld game gear and that was the best. But I wanted to play games. I loved them so much, even though they were at that really embryonic stage of game development. So I found myself going to any friend's house who had a gaming console and it was usually the Commodore 64 and you had to load the game in with a tape, an actual tape, which actually took 45 minutes to load. (laughs) Those are the days. But now I'm a parent and games are, well, let's be honest, they're heaps cooler than they used to be, a lot more complex and complicated (laughs) and amazing. So I've got a bit of a dilemma, guys. I want to game with my kids but I feel like I should try and wait as long as I can before they really get into it. So I'm one of those parents who ban gaming for as long as they can. Others allow it and monitor it, and a few are free range as well. Can I ask you, please, which one are you and why, Dr. Cat? So I am encouraging my kids to be on their devices as much as possible in games as often as possible in order to develop their minds and their problem-solving and creativity skills to be ready for really the future. I do also make sure that they are well-fed and (laughs) well-exercised. I 
am so excited by that answer. <laughs> And so will my son be. <laughs> that, I've never heard anyone say that. And it's kind of refreshing. What about yourself, Mark? I'm a little bit different. So for the last 15 years, I've been a technology or and games journalist. I've written about games. I've covered games heaps and think about games. And as a result of that, I have heaps. I mean, heaps of games consoles at home. And I've always got the most cutting-edge TVs. I've got... Xbox Series X, PlayStation 5, everything that comes out, I have day one. That's for kids is like some kind of crazy paradise where like yes. everything's just, it's like raining candy. Yeah, that's not just <laughs> um, the kids, Mark. That's for me yeah, as well. It's for that's everyone, ideal. but especially for my kids. <laughs> but it's something I've been super aware of ever since they were born. And I kind of try and steer them away from games as much as possible. And it, I think it's kind of counterintuitive for people to hear that, but it's something I stress about a lot as well. I worry about them not being interested in anything else. In my experience, kids, if they have a choice between video games and anything, they will choose video games. <laughs> so trying to make sure they have, you know, a broad experience in, like, in terms of exercise, going outside, in addition to video games, has been something that I'm being super hyper aware of, probably more than other parents. So it's kind of a weird dilemma for me. Mm, I feel you. Is it partly because, Mark, you know how fun and rad they are and you can't imagine not loving them? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's a massive part of it. I know the power of the video game. It's kind of funny because I as a journalist before I had kids, I spent years and years and years like talking about the positives of video games. And, oh, the kids need to play video games. And probably all the reasons that Kat is getting her kids to play games. But as soon as I had kids, I was like, I want my kids to be good at sport. I want my kids to be good at doing this. And I started stressing and becoming a bit more pedantic over the details of it. That being said, my kid is off school, sick today, and he's been playing Minecraft for <laughs> T-minus four hours straight. Yeah. What's the biggest change that you've seen in how tech is used these days as tweens move into the teenage years? It's different from when we were growing up, isn't it? It's the biggest change. What do you think, Dr. Cat? Yeah, well, look, the biggest change, I think, is the level of immersiveness that the games provide. And particularly now that we have Web3 and the metaverse, the full immersive 3D experiences, which I have to say are insanely good, the risk is that we now have these big gaming worlds building metaverses where our children will want to play, but they're essentially new universes owned by the tech giants without any rules or regulations. And the tech giant's motive is to engage the young people, have them become addicted so that then they can offer them other marketing or sales or other opportunities or link into them to get their parents to perhaps be spending money in and around the games. So that is the dark side that we're really seeing very strongly emerge, not just in, in metaverse games, but in standard 3D games and just also normal gaming and, of course, social media. The immersiveness of games, that's so true. I know... Yeah, growing up and having a Pac-Man console, I was not necessarily immersed in that little yellow guy wandering around the screen. <laughs> it was easy to put down. What do, what do you think, Mark? How's it different from when you were a tween 
to these well, days? I want to start by saying that it's, the thing that really blows my mind about the way kids interact with video games is actually the visual fidelity for them is not important. When I was a kid growing up, it was all about the graphics. Oh my goodness, the Super Nintendo came out. Have you seen Street Fighter 2's graphics? They're unbelievable. Graphics, graphics, graphics. We would use that vocabulary. But the games that my kids spend the most time playing look like garbage, like complete garbage. <laughs> yeah. You know, like the, like Minecraft is blocks. Yeah. <laughs> it's 8-bit. And I'm constantly surprised by the complete and utter trash that my kids find fun, where I'm like, there's a whole world of immersiveness and beautiful worlds for you to explore. And my kids like playing Roblox. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, this is horrific. Um, <laughs> but in, in answer to your question, I think two main things have changed. The first thing is the online element is the biggest game changer for kids and the biggest, for me as a parent, the danger zone <laughs> of, of I'm having to interact with strangers online. So I think that's the biggest thing. Second thing and Dr. Cat alluded to this, is the business model of video games and how those have changed over the years. When you and I were kids, Dylan, I'm, I'm 40, 41 next month. The video games were something you bought in a store, you played on your device, and that was how the transaction worked. You would pay the money out up front for the game, and that's it. You've got the game, you've got everything to do with the game. The game is yours forever. Nowadays, the games that my kids are playing, almost all of them involve like microtransactions. So you buy the game or the game is free a lot of times. And the, the way that these companies make money is through transactions within the game. So they mm. buy they buy a new hat or they buy a new jacket for their you know, their Minecraft guy, or they buy a new level or, and that's usually bought through in game currency that they acquire with their parents' credit cards. Yep. <laughs> so that's another element of danger for me. It's happened on two or three occasions for me already with my nine-year-old and he's just going, I'm just going to buy this. And he's been able to buy it and I've not had some sort of protection on it. He's just bought, you know, a hundred dollars worth of Minecraft money or Roblox money and I've just gone absolutely nuclear for doing yeah. that. So that's the two biggest changes, I would say, is the business model of these games and these companies that make them and the online element. It sounds like you're surprised that the kids are okay to look at games that don't look as beautiful as what we know they could look. Roblox, my kid's on that. And it is really bonky. And Minecraft, yeah. it's really 8-bit. It's a surprising thing to me as a parent that they are happy to look at these games and happy to play these games that don't look as beautiful as they potentially could. I guess it's more for them about what you've been sort of discussing about the fact that you can interact with your friends within the game. Mm -hmm. You can meet new people within the game. You can interact with strangers within the game. And as you said, we couldn't do that back in the day. I think the first time I could play a game with others involved on their consoles were when we stuck all our Xboxes together and we would play like Halo together. And that was the first time we could have 16 of us playing this game. It was the best and then the internet you could get involved with that and then you're playing against strangers it is a whole new world how do you try to model gaming online yourself i'm a bit hopeless at being a role model when i'm saying to my kids especially my nine-year-old boy no you've got to spend more time in the real world and let's go outside to nature and have a walk and invariably i will get dobbed on mom Dad is playing Pokemon Go while we're walking and I get in trouble. <laughs> what about for you guys? Do you get involved with the gaming with the kids? Are you actively engaged with the kids and what they're getting up to? What about you, Mark? I've become a real grumpy old man about how the video games I play and how I play them. And I, I actually play video games with my kids a lot less than I thought I would. 
there have been games where we've bonded and played them together and kind of fallen in love with them together. Games with co-op elements, like uh, I remember Super Mario 3D World had a four-player element and that was really magical because my kid was super young then and that game was designed for me to be able to guide them through the experience. But now I'm at the stage where I don't know enough about Minecraft to play it and when he's doing it, I'm just like, this is insane to me. I can't understand what you're doing. And I'm having to ask him for advice. Another thing, I have 100% stopped playing games as much because I have kids. And it's not just because I'm busy, but although that is part of it, I'm busier with kids and I have stuff to do during the day. I don't want to see my kids see me just play games all day. I have seen other parents do that. They, they play games a lot. And on the weekends, they'll plug into whatever game it is, you know, like Elden Ring or whatever current big game it is, and they'll play it for 10 hours a day. I'm very disciplined with the games I play and the amount I play them. I really have become conscious of trying to model that behavior. There's a big complex relationship there for me. It's kind of really interesting, and it's far more nuanced than I thought it would be. I think a lot about it. I feel like exactly the same boat, where I would game a lot. Yeah, well, I gamed so hard before kids. Yeah. And God, you know, I just, I was immersed in it. I loved it and my friends loved it. And then when I had kids, I didn't want to be seen as the person who was encouraging this to happen. I love the point you make, Mark, about finding those games where you can work cooperatively in a game. If we're doing something cooperative, I feel like, okay, I feel like this is a bit different to just sitting there for 12 hours and eating pizza and drinking Coca-Cola and and then getting to the end of the day and realising you probably should have gone to the toilet. Could you... Give us some tips to other parents who have the tweens especially of how to practice positive behaviours because you've both got very different views on this. There must be somewhere in the middle where we as parents can go, yeah, no, I get that. Let's start with you, Dr. Cat. The first thing I'd like to say is for the parents just to examine their own relationship that they have with technology and their own biases that they bring in. So often parents who are not very well acquainted with technology or gaming just immediately have a negative demeanour towards it, and that negative frame will rail the tweens. It's just, you're old-fashioned, you don't know anything, mum or dad, all my friends are doing it, you're stopping me doing it, and that's not going to help because the Twins are just going to sneak off and do it at their friend's place or late at night and they're just going to hack up some solution. Get an account, have a go yourself. Have a hack around Roblox, Minecraft, Beat Saber, Richie's Plank, and give it a go so you actually know what the child is doing. I also think parents have an obligation to get into some of these games, and, and Roblox is one of these ones, where there is some risk and dangers. So what are they experiencing the chat functions and, you know, who might they be interacting with? Become educated. The same as if your kid is good at soccer, then you want to go and kick a soccer ball around with them. Suddenly we get to gaming, your kid is good at gaming and the parents go, oh, it's a really bad thing. And all of that just has to be examined. So they're the first things I want to say. And then become involved with your kids. I mainly play 3D metaverse games now. So obviously champion at Beat Saber. And I just get my kids to do it with me. So we're exploring and we're learning together. Like if we were hiking in the mountains, we go, we learn, we explore together, we have a look at this, we have a look at that. My real message is examine your own biases and become educated. 
find a shared interest in the games because this is your children's world and it's not going away anytime soon. Very, very wise advice. Thank you. I have, like Mark, I've attempted to have a little go at things like Minecraft and Roblox and as soon as I'm in there, I'm confused. (laughs) It doesn't make sense. They seem to be just spinning around, spinning around and things get made in front of them and they've made them and they're setting traps and I don't know what. So I just pull out. But what but I think beautiful opportunity for you to say yeah. to your child, hey, Junior, like, oh, I'm not sure how this works. Could you show me how I get through that or how I build this? And and what a beautiful exchange where it's not always the adult is the dominant one being being the teacher that the children can teach us because that's a profound exchange. You, just as you're saying that, I'm... Thinking of those times when I do have a little go, again, mostly with my son, and when he sees me sitting there with him, he's like, what, is this really happening? It's like the best thing thing that's ever ever happened. The the engagement, Mm -hmm. the eye contact, the the feeling that we're doing something together. He loves it. Mm -hmm. Why would I stop doing that? Exactly. What do you think, Mark? I mean, I I was a bit flipping. You think you're a bad role model? No, no, I don't. I don't. I I come from a really kind of privileged perspective here. I understand games. I know how they work. That's not a problem for me. But if you don't, you have to educate yourself like ASAP. That's super important. Examining your biases, like Dr. Kat said, phenomenal idea. For the most part, parents should lean into games more. Mm. For me, it's like I'm already all the way leaned into games. I've I've felt like I've had to lean back a little bit. Most parents will be on the opposite side of that spectrum. They'll be Mm. in a spot where... Actually, they should play more games with their kids. They should be learning more about it and they should trust their kids a bit more. I think trusting your kids in these environments is super key. In my times playing Minecraft, I have absolutely loved being the person who's been taught things by my younger kids. I think it's really empowering for them um, in a really good way. They feel smart. They feel like they're educating. And it's a different skill set to teach and to show your dad something or your mum something, I think that's something that's really beautiful to practice. It creates these really deep connections. So I would agree with everything Kat said. It's funny because you said we're coming out from opposite perspectives. I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think everything Kat said is spot on. Yes, I do too. I think I'm learning a lot just from our little chat that we've had thus far. <laughs> this is great fun. Dr. Kat, you've been mentioning the metaverse. Mm-hmm. The metaverse a few times. You've been asked to tell business leaders and politicians what the metaverse is. For those of us who may not fully understand what that is, could you please enlighten us as well? Mm, I would love to. So (laughs) we're at a stage where we're experiencing the emergence of what we call Web3. And Web3 is where we're finally seeing the mature or the early stage maturity of technologies such as virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality, blockchain, crypto, NFTs, artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, 5G, cybersecurity. I'd say they are the main technologies that sit around the metaverse. And so the metaverse is typically not always 3D technologies, but mostly we associate it with virtual reality and a 3D fully immersive experience. There is not one metaverse. There are a number of metaverses. And we can already tell how important Metaverse is going to be in the future because of the behaviour of Facebook. So Facebook renamed themselves from Facebook as the overarching brand to Meta. 
and they are in the process of putting on 10,000 new workers based in Europe to build out their metaverse. So their current metaverse is called Horizon Worlds. It is not available in Australia yet, but it is available around the world. So the metaverse is fully immersive, mostly 3D experiences where people come to make social connections. That's the broad definition of them. But what they actually are, and if we think of the main providers of Metaverse, we've got Meta, ex-Facebook. We are aware that Microsoft is building a business-oriented Metaverse. Fortnite, which is Epic Games, Upland, Euphoria, Stageverse, there's a bunch of them where you can go with a 3D headset into these worlds and it's a replica really of our physical world. So in some of these worlds, you can do gaming, you can go and sit around a fire and have a chat, you can attend lectures, you can go to concerts, you can buy property. In the metaverse, you don't buy things with cash or credit card. It's all crypto or NFTs. NFTs for the audience are non-fungible tokens. So fungible means replaceable. So a non-fungible token means it's one of a kind, you can't replace it. And these are digital assets which are made by people and they are unique digital entities such as an artwork or a meme or, for example, Nike. So Nike does, you can buy a shoe, a physical shoe, and then you can get an NFT and wear that shoe in the metaverse. And the real beauty of the metaverse is an accessibility thing. So you could go on a beautiful tour of Africa in your virtual headset, whereas I might never be able to actually afford to go and see real Africa. So this is what the metaverse is. This is coming super fast. These kids who are born digital natives, this is part of their world. My nine-year-old understands metaverse more than me because he's playing Roblox. This is why you're saying we need to encourage our children to get used to it and become familiar with it and understand how to control it and how it works because it's unavoidable. We're going to be doing meetings, like you said. Classrooms. in the Grass had concerts online that if you couldn't get to it because either you're too far away or you can't leave the house for whatever reason or you're in another country, you can go to that concert. You can be in the front row of that concert because the metaverse exists. It sounds exciting. I mean, it's science fiction, (laughs) but it's no no longer fiction. Dr. Kat, were your kids big gamers when they were tweens or are they still big gamers now? So I have five kids, four boys and one girl, ranging from sort of mid-30s down to 18 is the youngest. All of them were big gamers during a couple of years when they were tweens to mid to late teens. And that's when we as parents, if we have no other experience, go, oh, no, my kid is sucked into the gaming world and they'll be there forever and they'll get overweight and they'll not have any friends. I mean, that's what we think. But what happens? It's the same. Remember your kids, particularly the boys and the girls, go through a phase when they're two until maybe four where they wear superhero costumes every day? Okay, it's the (laughs) same thing. Your kids will be gaming from tweens to kind of maybe 
16, 17, then it's like, oh, I have a girlfriend now. Oh, I want to go to a gathering or a party or, oh, my friends go surfing now and that would look good if I went. They they then, they get their first car. And so that's for all five of my kids, that's the pattern that they've all gone through. And I, like many parents listening, will have gone, I'm going nuts. My kid will be sucked into this game and never come out. And in my experience, they all came out. I've always hoped that like my commitment to some of the gaming that I've done would be recognised by someone really important, like someone in the government. And they would say, Dylan, because you're so good at Pokemon Go, we need we need someone with that yes. skill set to come and help us save the world because aliens are attacking and you're so good at just finding these Pokemon around the world. So are there actually any real world ways that you can use the things that you learn in gaming? Does it translate? I don't think my Pokemon Go hunting is going to translate, but what about with other games? What do you think? Yeah, I, I absolutely think there are massive like crossover of skills that you learn in video games to the real world. First off, just the ability to understand how connections online work is just supremely important. We all chat in Zoom, we work on Slack, and we work on these like message like systems online that that's how we communicate now, especially post pandemic. Like my kid knows how to use Discord. He's he's nine years old. He uses Discord every day. Um, he knows how to call someone on FaceTime and have a chat, and he knows that those things just also natural to my kid. That I think going into a post pandemic work world will just be so easy for him. It will be second nature. It won't be a transition period at all. Even the games themselves, like Minecraft, especially, like is teaching kids how to code. Like just through the functions that the game has to help you build stuff. If you want to build, you know, a house in Minecraft and have the door open when you stand on a pressure pad, you mm. can do that very easily. And and the ways you do that are very similar to how you would um code in, in the real world. Historically, all play has prepared us for the real world. All play has prepared us for work. Lego is preparing you to build things and all these toys that you buy and the, the games that we play are all sort of like role plays of real world activities that you will be doing to be a productive member of society. So I think video games are no different. The video games that are being built now are really sophisticated in the ways that they do prepare kids for the working world. <laughs> Unfortunately, it seems like a lot of kids have learned their dance moves from Fortnite and that really gives me the ear it's- Learn better dancing. <laughs> Look, as part as part of your immersing and and your education process, I think it's important that you learn to floss. I think it's <laughs> all parents should be able mm-hmm. to at least approximate some sort of yeah, it's pretty oh, good effort there. <laughs> I can I can floss. <laughs> Have you got any tips, resources perhaps that you find useful or you could share with less tech-savvy parents. Uh, you are clearly the most tech-savvy parents I've ever encountered in my life. What about for those of us who are less tech-savvy? What resources are there to find out the things that they're worried about or mm. to help them not game as much as it, to a point where it's dangerous? Mark, perhaps answer that more directly about the tips to do with, say, say gaming. But the thing that I'm dedicating this next phase of my career and life to is trying to reduce the harms that occur in the digital world. So whether it is in social media, in 2D games or 3D games, these places are still very dangerous. There are no laws, no regulations. We've got 
stories of all sorts of abuse and and scams and and all sorts of things that go badly in in games and in in the metaverse and Australia actually does a good job in child data protection and and digital safety we're actually one of the world leaders in in the field and that's easy to just kind of google child data safety child privacy acts and to find out what the laws are but then to be really starting to look at resources for how they are aware and how the children are aware of the harms and then they coach and they train their children not in an alarmist way but genuinely speaking to the kids hey what goes on in the chat is there any chat that you're uncomfortable with or if this sort of chat happens I'd love you to let me know and so I'm all about parents resourcing up to make sure their kids are well protected in any type of digital environment are there things that you can specifically point out that parents can look out for within these gaming platforms? It's a lot in the chat. So watching that the kids are not Mm -hmm. being groomed in chat, seeing about who their friends are and who they're they're teaming up with or opposing and how the behaviour is going and whether they're actually being bullied at all and they just think this is normal but it's actually bullying. And this is where the, the parents have got to earn the trust of the kids first so that the kids don't think the parents just being an old person annoyingly interrogating them, but genuinely speaking to them about it. And then also monitoring the child's behaviour. So if the child starts to be withdrawn, starts to have any behavioural change, depression, anxiety, that they think may have come from bullying or some inappropriate activity online, then the parent needs to just very gently seek advice on how to handle that and then start to work with the child on it. Maybe I'm conservative in this way, but I don't like my kids having their own computer or screen in their own bedroom. I like them to have it in a space where I'm constantly walking, I'm constantly mm. there. Like, So my kids play Minecraft, they play in the living room where one of us is there mo- almost all the time. What Kat said about earning the trust is pivotal. Understanding the game first and foremost and understanding how chat works and understanding how friends are made and super important. You have to be able to talk to your kid on a level that they don't think you're a complete idiot and you don't get it. Because <laughs> then your words have no impact and you can't help them. But also, especially at a younger age, monitoring what they're doing and the spaces that they're going into. Even just what they're Googling. Make sure you've got the right like set, like safe search stuff on Google, on your browser. All that stuff is super important. There's heaps of ways for you to monitor as well and limit the amount of the games and, and what your kids are playing. Familiarise yourself with those settings, whether it's on an Xbox, a PC, Nintendo Switch, whatever. And uh, Nintendo in particular have some really good like apps that you can download onto your phone that can help you track and limit what your kids play and what they it's not about limiting your kids from playing the games. It's limiting what they see and the type of content they're, they're engaging with. And also, of course, being aware that if there's in-app purchases, oh, yeah. that you're across that. <laughs> they'll send, you, get the they'll nasty send you surprise. Broke, they'll send yep. you broke. I've heard terrible stories of thousands of dollars <laughs> being spent on bacon-shaped hats <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for, for various games. I think I've gained from this... What I was hoping to gain, and that's to hear from people who are in in this industry, in this world, know this world back to front, 
that it's about being human with your kids. It's about engaging with your kids, asking your kids questions. It's not like the old days where I could go off and play Pac-Man because that was the only little screen I was looking at. It was just a tiny little screen. Nowadays, you've got access to people around the world. So it's about engaging with your children, knowing that there are dangers out there, educating the children about these dangers. To finish now, we're looking for practical guidance that we can give to parents so they don't feel overwhelmed by gaming and the metaverse. We've used a lot of terms that might be a a little frightening or new. How can you just feel not overwhelmed by it? Personally, I think you need to worry less about the terms and the the scary names. And fundamentally, kids are no different from you as a kid. So remember what you were like as a kid. What were the things that you wanted to do, that you were interested in? And think about the ways that your parents interacted with you, that you thought, oh my God, they just don't get it. Mm. Self-reflect on that and use that energy to like change your mindset about games and engage with them in a way that's kind of fruitful for your own relationship. Use games as a way to build that trust, to build that relationship with your kids. That would be good advice. It sounds a bit patronising. No, it doesn't. It's, it, it's, it's, they can be a. They can help. Yeah, that's right. Be better friends. Exactly. Gaming is is not a big scary boogeyman. There's things to be worried about and things to be concerned about, but you will only understand what those are and what the real boogeymen are when you engage with them on a good faith level. Dr. Cat, what are your words on helping people not feel overwhelmed by this incredibly fast-moving world? Yeah, look, just a really simple advice is if your kid is a... Minecraft player or Roblox player or Fortnite player, just say, hey, I've seen that you really love this game and I don't know anything about it. I'd love you to tell me about it. I'd love to sit down and just tell me what goes on in there. Like, it sounds really cool. And could I watch, just sit here and watch and you show me what you do and how that works? And that'd be like a really cool thing for us to do. And and maybe at some stage, not in your game, sweetheart, but in my own game, I might have a bit of a go at it too, and I'd love you to show me how I could do it. Or not Fortnite, I want to play this other game, and I'd love you to show me how to do it. Same as we would have done playing cricket, playing netball, playing soccer. Awesome. This has been absolutely fascinating and actually really useful for me as well. So I hope that people listening also gained some insight and some understanding from listening to this. So thank you so much, you excellent human beings. Dr. Cat Wallace, Mark Serrells. It was a pleasure chatting. Thank you, Dylan. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Navigating Parenthood, Growing Great Tweens. Join me next time where we will look at friendship and peer influence as I spend time with actor and mum of two, Pia Miranda, and school lunchbox dad and dad of two, George Georgievsky. If you haven't listened already, make sure you go back and check out the first three seasons of Navigating Parenthood. And don't forget to subscribe, rate and review Navigating Parenthood. It helps us share the love to more people. Thanks. For more information and useful parenting links, head to hcf.com.au slash podcast. I'm Dylan Lewis. Catch you next time. Love you. Cheers. HCF acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we've recorded this podcast on, the Banarong Boonwarang and Wurundjeri Woi Warang peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nation. We pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging.